Uh, why don't you start with the Padres and I'll start with the Rockies? Okay. I suppose we could we could even go crazy and record them out of order if you wanted. Eh, there could be nope. continuity errors. <laughs> there could be. <laughs> Reference some joke that we haven't told yet. Jeff's cigarette gets longer. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning and welcome to episode 155 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California, Sam Miller. And joining us uh, to talk about the Padres is Jeff Young. Hello, Jeff. Hey there. Uh, And after Jeff, Pete Barrett will talk to someone, but we don't know who yet. We are recording this a little bit early because I am going to be traveling to the Sabre conference later this week, uh, or maybe by the time you've heard this, probably. So we're recording early and don't yet know who the guest will be, but it will be someone and the post will say who it is and the iTunes summary will say who it is. Anyway, uh, Jeff, we did a a lineup card at BP recently on our least favorite off-season moves and you picked the Padres do nothing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the nothing that they did and then... Uh, say why you thought it was a bad idea to do nothing. Yeah, well, the uh, pretty much the big moves they made were uh, uh, signing Freddie Garcia to a minor league contract, uh, re-signing Jason Marquis, and uh, trading for Tyson Ross. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of the winter for uh, for us in San Diego. <laughs> what did a Padres blog, blog about <laughs> this winter? Yeah, well, right. I, I know it's 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 pretty exciting, actually. You know, we're we're really uh, we're really stoked about the new additions, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever else cliches you want to throw in there. But uh, yeah, it could have been I mean, worse though for a Padres blogger. It could have been worse if they traded Chase Headley, and then you would have had no Chase Headley. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, yeah, we've. That's that's sort of a recurring theme out here between uh, you know losing PV and uh, Adrian Gonzalez and Latos in successive years. So uh, I guess that hasn't happened yet. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean it was it was sort of one of those things where uh, uh, the Padres went into the offseason talking about needing uh, a starting pitcher or two, and then uh, basically nothing really happened from that. Uh, really, the big moves were re-signing Marquis, who had a real nice half season after really not doing anything for several seasons, and uh, and then bringing Garcia on a minor league deal, which again it's it's not really a horrible idea, but uh, you know if those were your big moves, that those don't really qualify. Do you think there's a, a temptation if you're the Padres to slack off when it comes to getting pitching because it seems like you can kind of stick anyone in Petco and it will sort of work. I mean, we've seen it kind of work with a, a long succession of, of sort of soft tossing fly ball guys who go to Petco and don't give up as many home runs and are serviceable. Is there kind of a temptation to just skimp there and, and feel like we can just put anyone there? We don't necessarily have to pay top dollar and it will work out okay. Uh, it sort of seems like that's been the case in the past, going back to guys like Ishmael Valdez and uh, on to John Garland and Kevin Correa and Aaron Harang and yeah, pr- Dustin Mosley. I mean, pretty much a, a continuous string of guys like that. But um, this year they've moved the fences in a little bit. So um, it's it's going to be a real interesting test, I think, because there's just, I mean, Edinson Volquez, aside from the fact that he 
can't find the plate a lot of the time is at least a pretty legitimate major league starter. Clayton Richard throws a bunch of innings, but you know, the guy led the National League in home runs allowed, and he's played half his games at Petco Park. So you wonder what bringing the fences in is going to do to a guy like that. Um, and and to say nothing of the strategy of bringing in, you know, whoever they could find off the street to pick up those back. I mean, it, I mean, the the last once you get past those two guys, the rest of that rotation right now shakes out. I, I mean, it's like Eric Stoltz and Jason Marquis and. I don't even know who's at number five right now. It's there's there's a bunch of guys competing for that spot, but is Tim Stauffer coming back? Yeah, Stauffer was signed. He was re-signed on a minor league deal as well, so he'll be in the mix for that five. Um, Anthony Bass will be in the um, mix for that five. And uh, what's uh, what's Corey Lubke's outlook for the year? Is he pitching, uh, pitching at all? Not not to start. Uh, he's he's returning from surgery. He'll he'll probably be back uh, optimistically maybe in June, but more likely second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew Kashner's still in the mix, but you you really can't count on him for anything, uh, given his track record. I mean, it's he's a nice guy to dream on because he just throws a bazillion miles an hour, but uh, but you just can't really count on that. For those who don't know, uh, what is the the fence situation exactly? What what is moving in by how much? How much is it expected to affect things? And and what do you think the rationale was for for doing that now? Uh, it's if memory serves, I believe it's about 11 to 12 feet um, left and right center field. And uh, I, I mean, I think the idea is to, to generate a little more offense uh, for uh, hopefully for the Padres, but possibly for both teams and uh, make games more exciting and, uh, you know, try, try and get more people out to see games that aren't necessarily two to one and three to one all the time, which, you know, I happen to love a good pitcher's duel, but, uh, but, uh, not everybody subscribes to that theory and would rather see more points on the, or <laughs> points on the board as we call them out here, uh, more runs on the board. That's a, that's a joke from the TV guys out here. They always, they always call them points on the board just to be cute. But, um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So it's, I, I think that's the idea is to kind of generate a little more offense and, and, uh, get people, you know, not, not sitting around watching guys hit balls to the warning track all the time. And, you know, I think of a guy like, uh, you know, Ryan Ludwig when he was here and, and you just see him <laughs> seem like every time up, he was hitting a ball to the warning track and that's about as far as it would go. And, and people would kind of go, <gasps> Oh, you know, so, so I think they're trying to eliminate some of that. Um, the effect it'll have, uh, with with the pitching staff, the Padres are going to run out there. I have some concerns. It should be a it should be a reality show or something like rehabilitate your old soft tossing fly ball pitcher, and they could compete for the fifth starter spot. That would make things interesting. <laughs> don't respond. Um, <laughs> uh, so you mentioned Kashner, um, and you don't seem that excited uh, about him, um, which surprises me um, because he. Um, he got a little bit of a, of a look as a starter last year and, uh, and as well as in the minors and, um, the numbers seem really super promising. Um, he had 23 strikeouts and three walks in five starts in the majors, 30 strikeouts and five walks in 23 innings in the minors. Um, so, uh, why, why the pessimism and, uh, as a person who's actually seen him start uh, and seen him relieve, um, what were your thoughts? thoughts on how he, you know, if, if he 
can hold up in that role. Uh, the the main issues I have with him are, are the durability issues um, and whether he can actually make it through a season healthy. And this offseason, he, of course, cut himself, uh, or either he or a friend cut him, uh, cut his thumb or his hand while they were... It was it was a hunting accident, basically. Um, I don't know enough about hunting to, to tell you what exactly the details were. But, yeah, um, basically he's he's questionable for the start of the season. And that was um, on the heels of the, the Padres had asked him to pitch winter ball, and he declined. And uh, and he went out hunting instead and, and did that. So um, that's and, – and, of course, even before that, that that's a – freak off field accident even before that though he'd had he'd had trouble in the past making it through a season healthy um last season included um the the thing about cashner is his stuff is absolutely electric uh the 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 positive side of it you can see where if the guy can put it together i mean there's there's really a lot to dream on with him the first time i saw him was last spring training and i mean i remember when he came into the game and and it was like the first pitch we just all kind of looked at each other like, what was that? You know, you don't see guys throw like that. Um, I saw his first start uh, in as a Padre last year. It was against the Brewers in Milwaukee. And in the first inning uh, against Ryan Braun, he struck him out on three pitches and they were all 100 miles an hour. So there's there's really a lot to like, uh, except for the fact that he he just hasn't been able to do anything with any kind of – uh, consistency, regularity, or or even just staying healthy. So um, that's that's the big concern with Kashner is is can he hold up to the starters' workload and and can he make it through a season healthy? And is it uh, is the plan definitely to have him as a starter um, at least for a long time until it doesn't work? Yeah, I think they'd really like to make him a starter. Uh, they they were really committed to that last year, and uh, uh, you know I, I think the theory is if you can get him out there for six innings at a time rather than one or two. Uh, so much the better and you know his repertoire is deep enough that he can that he can do it it's just i think it's just a question of uh you know can he can he physically hold up to that so are people going to want to watch the padres this year and if they do uh will they be able to because i know that was a problem last year in in both areas i I don't know if they're gonna want to i mean I, i think actually the um I think the hitting side of things is going to be pretty fun this year. Uh, it would have been probably more fun had, had not uh, Yasmani Grandal been suspended. But uh, but I, I think you're going to see some pretty uh, interesting players in in uh, Jed Jerko and and uh, you know uh, hopefully have a healthy year out of Carlos Quentin and see what Yonder Alonso can do in his second go around. So I think this is actually going to be a pretty decent offense. Um, as far as being able to see it, they've uh, they've been able to get a little bit more uh, cooperation from cable companies, and I think they're now down from uh, estimated 40 to 42 percent last year of households in San Diego County that could not watch the Padres live on TV. Uh, this year, that number is about cut in half. Uh, there's there's only one major provider at this point uh, that doesn't carry the team, and it and it looks like they're not going to. So I think that number's down to about 20, low 20 percent, something like that. Well, that's progress. People yeah. can watch the team if they want to, mostly. Um, and and so the the farm system, we haven't. Uh, Jason Parks hasn't done his his organizational rankings yet, but he included a note in the Padres top ten saying that it was a top five system. 
lots of high ceiling impact players, also low risk, high floor types, just a, a good mix of both. And even after Liriano's injury, it, it still seems like one of the strongest systems in the game. So is that the strategy then? Don't spend for now, just wait for these guys to come along and, and start making an impact in the majors. And, and does that make sense as a strategy? Um, that does seem to be the strategy. Um, whether it makes sense or not, you'll get differing opinions out here. Um, some people are pretty not not real happy about uh, the fact that they didn't really make any moves. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that may be as much a function of the fact that they said they were going to go and make moves and then they kind of didn't. Um, but uh, as far as the farm system, yeah, I think there are a lot of guys. I mean. I, you know, Jerko's in in pretty heavy competition for that second base job, and he's been he, he's been hitting the ball like crazy in the early going. And he's you know he's never going to be a, a stellar second baseman, but it, but if he can hold his own out there, he's going to be a guy to watch. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the idea is to kind of get these get some of these younger guys up and and comfortable at the big league level and. and hopefully be able to get them. I mean, that, that's kind of what they did last year when they signed guys like uh, Nick Hunley and uh, uh, Corey Lubke and Cameron Mabin to long-term deals. And of course it didn't, I mean, they all ended up, two of them got hurt and the other one didn't really do all that great. But, uh, but I think that was the idea was to get this young core of talent and, uh, and hopefully kind of uh, build momentum to where they're kind of all coming together at the same time. And, and at some point you'll be able to compete with these guys. Do you think that part of the decision to move the fences in was uh, made with the idea of making the Padres more attractive to hitters and, and being able to keep them or or sign them, possibly with an eye towards Chase Headley and, and making him the next guy to, to sign to a long-term extension? Um, I imagine that probably played into their thinking, but I... I... I don't get the sense that that was the primary. Uh, this, this is really speculation on my part. I don't get the sense that that was the primary uh, driving factor. It, it seems like more. Um, there's just there's kind of been a uh, there's been a clamoring about town for this sort of thing for a, for a, several years. Really, um, people just find low scoring baseball games boring, and I don't speak for myself personally, but a lot of people find low low scoring baseball games boring. And um, I, I think that was really the primary driver. Um, yeah, I mean, attracting hitters, you know, the flip side of that is you can't just bring in any John Garland and Aaron Harang and Kevin Correa type to, you, you know, it, it comes with a cost. If, if you attract those or attract or retain those hitters, you, you're suddenly closing out a lot of doors to, to mediocre pitchers that ordinarily could have been used to shore up the back end of your uh, rotation is there um is there a least popular padre you guys are a fairly nice fan base is there anybody who's hated wow um ah not i don't not on the current team i don't think um I, wow no i don't think so i i mean guys who didn't guys who didn't want to be here and let and and let everybody know about it and then got themselves traded away um i i mean i think doug mirabelli would probably be high on people's list but uh but uh current padres wow at least least likable padre i don't think so i i don't know that's a that's a tough one what what's the prevailing prevailing padres fan opinion of mark 
Kotze? Because it seems like he's sort of an object of, of ridicule in some circles, and I kind of do a double take every time I realize that Mark Kotze is still playing. Uh, and he was on the roster the whole year, or just about the whole year, and, and seemed to barely play and is kind of there as like a, a clubhouse chemistry token guy, I guess. Is there, yeah, is there any... Yeah. Yeah, no, he's pretty much. I mean, it's it's a weird thing because you know Katze sort of, he his first go around in San Diego was I think oh one to oh three, and he was actually right in the prime of his career. So people have a lot of fond memories of him playing center field and playing it very well, if you can remember that. But uh, um, at this point, yeah, he's there for the clubhouse presence, um, in theory to provide a left-handed bat off the bench. Unfortunately, a left-handed bat that doesn't do a lot. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think people have fond enough memories of the guy that, that they don't they don't really hold too much against him for, for anything he's doing these days or not doing. Predict. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to go crazy optimistic and say... 79. 79 wins, fourth place. Huh. All right. Seems reasonable to me. Yeah. It seems it's hard to believe that the 2010 Padres were only a few years ago. And that was such a, a nice story that almost went somewhere. And then almost. didn't really lead to anything after that. <laughs> um, okay. I guess we're done. Uh, Pete is going to talk to someone after the intro. I'm sure it will be uh, an excellent interview. And we will be back tomorrow. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joining me today to talk Padres, Tom Krasovic from UT San Diego, and he covers the Padres also for Baseball America. Tom, thanks for joining us. Glad to do it. Tom, how do you evaluate what the Padres did or didn't do this offseason? Well, for me, the big picture is the Padres are pointing more toward 2014 and 2015. And I would say folks may not want to hear that. That's not a good way to sell tickets. You don't, I'm not saying they're writing off 2013, but for logical reasons, they're looking past this year in a sense for really going after winning a division or a wild card berth. I mean, if everything breaks right this year, sure, I guess they could challenge for the playoffs, and then they would have to react accordingly. But the probability is uh, they won't, and I think this offseason reflected that, that they're uh, more optimistic about 2014, 2015, building toward those two years. Absolutely. And there's been the kind of this notion that they're building for the next couple of years for a while, um, that's why the Carlos Quinton move, I think, surprised a lot of people last season. Looking at that now, what do you think? I, I see your point, and I'm not so sure he wouldn't be better off in terms of baseball production in the American League. 
but he likes it here, and he has family here, and he really likes Bud Black. Um, and I think they were desperate for anybody who was a threat in the lineup to help out Chase Headley. Uh, looking at that move now, you know, I think it uh, it gives them someone to uh, sort of, I don't want to say anchor their lineup, but it gives them another pretty good hitter to boost their product for this year, perhaps help out some of the other guys. And uh, because of how Bud Black manages him, Pete, he's, he's going to do everything <laughs> within reason to keep the guy healthy and hope for the life of the contract that you can get, uh, gosh, maybe 110 starts a year. I think that, I think, I don't think they'd say that, but I think they'd probably be pretty happy if he did that. And uh, they, I think they would be pretty pleased with the uh, results offensively if he's able to do that. And I think the stats show that when he's in the lineup, they're a better team. They, they score more runs. Tom, I'm all the way here on the East Coast, and yet the message is loud and clear even over here. Bud Black is very respected throughout the game of baseball. Can you talk about what kind of – um, manager Bud Black is and what kind of person? As a person, he's incredibly fair. If he was your boss, I think he'd be very happy because he's going to push you, but he's going to be fair about it. He's going to be very smart. He's going to be patient. Don't confuse that with being a pushover. He certainly isn't that, but he's sort of like a National League Joe Madden. You know, he's just got an excellent feel for people and probably could be, I don't think there's a probably. I definitely think if he wanted to be in a front office, he could do that. So he's able to incorporate that perspective. So he's very broad-minded. As a manager, I think he's really grown into his own the last few years. He's probably more from the, from the Angels school of aggressive base running and uh, forcing the issue on the base path. He's a believer in that. He's a believer in foot speed and, and things like that. I don't know that that was the greatest fit early on here when he was reporting to Sandy Alderson and Grady Fuson and Paul D. Bedesta to some extent. Those guys came at it from a little bit of a different perspective from their time in Oakland. It probably wasn't as much of a culture of pushing the issue on the base path and, and certain related things. I think he's put more of a footprint on the organization, a fingerprint on the organization in the last few years, most notably in 2010, where they really ramped up their running game and did a very good job of, on the margins, finding value with things like how they read pitchers uh, on the base running and how they read opposing outfielders on the base running. But if, if I had to pick his number one strength, it's handling a pitching staff and handle, running a bullpen. I think if you look back, his Angels bullpens were consistently good when he was their pitching coach, which he was there, I think, seven years. So if you did a check of those, bullpens and most of his Padre bullpens, he's done a pretty nice job with those. I, I think those are strengths. Uh, if I had to give you a couple things where he had to improve on, I think, you know, he hadn't managed at any level when he came here. 
I think there were probably times when the game was a little fast from for him uh, down in the dugout. It's until you've done it, um, it it can be a bit of an adjustment. But I think he's made that. And the other thing is, and this is sort of nebulous, but is he as a former pitcher as willing to be, if need be, tough on position players? Uh, maybe that's a question because I think his confidence is, you know, as a former pitcher. But overall, I think uh, you're talking about a guy who uh, is above average in several areas and is, uh, I think, a better-than-average manager. Interesting stuff. We're getting the lowdown on the Padres from Tom Krasovic. You can follow him on Twitter at UT Krasovic. Tom, before we let you go, I've had a lot of talk um, with other reporters in the NL West, and they see this division as sort of underrated around baseball. And maybe that's some East Coast bias, and we just don't hear about what happens after hours. Um, but you look at this division from top to bottom. Would you agree with the other guys that maybe the NL West doesn't get the attention it should? Well, I think it's... Boy, that's a great question, Pete. I can answer that on several levels. I would say a few things. I would think West Coast baseball maybe sometimes is a little underappreciated. California, I think, has has more MLB teams than any state. The attendance tends to be pretty darn good. If you look at the attendance of the Dodgers and the Giants, uh, if you ever get, I don't know if you've been able to go to games at those places. It's a lot of fun. Anaheim excellent uh, attendance. The Padres have been hanging in there with their 2 million plus in attendance. Uh, and Oakland, I think, is a pretty interesting team. But you asked about the NL West. I don't necessarily think it's being uh, underrated. Frankly, I think the AL East might be the best division in baseball just because it's so deep. The NL West depth uh, isn't bad, but I mean, if you look at last year, uh, Colorado and San Diego, they would have to improve quite a bit to be what I would consider a good team. And they might, but I'm not sure that I would expect it. What I do think happens a little bit with the NL West is because of the style of play, it can get sort of underappreciated. You know, it's not a division that typically produces high-powered offense. And I'm not saying that people have to have great offense to appreciate a division, but it it can sort of be underappreciated because of that fact. It's awfully tough to score runs in San Francisco and in San Diego. And Los Angeles, I think, is a fairly neutral park, but uh, still not an easy place to score runs there uh, in the spring, particular at night. So you aren't going to see a lot of the, you know, powerful offensive displays. It's more of a, a division that tends to be built on pitching and bench and bullpen. It's 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 a classically National League division. And for some people, that that's sort of boring at times. So I think where that sort of shows up is, you know, San Francisco, what they've pulled off in the postseason – they, they've represented the division so well. I, I would think at this point people uh, give the National League West its due. Good stuff. Tom Krasovic, a reporter for UT San Diego, covers the NFL and the Chargers 
Baseball for Baseball America, covering the Padres. Tom, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Glad to do it, Pete.